0: is maintenance it's doing the hard work you know you just can't sit back and, and wait for this stuff to happen you have to actually engage with it and if you want the best for your children then the best thing you can do is have a good relationship with yourself have a good relationship with your partner and then having a good relationship with your children
1: hello you're very welcome to the parent line podcast I'm your host Kerry McLean, I'm a broadcaster, a ParentLine ambassador and I'm a mum of three and this is the podcast where we talk all things parenting, both the joys and the challenges along the way wherever you are on your parenting journey. As anyone who's raising a child will know already, not only can it be the best job in the world, it can also be the most challenging job you will ever encounter because not only is it hard to navigate the ups and the downs between yourself and each individual child you've got in the house, you also have to think about how that affects and impacts on everybody else around you. It's that old saying, isn't it, about a relationship being the trickiest ship of all to seal, but luckily for us, we've got somebody here with us today to help us navigate our way through. From Relate and I? this is Kelly. Kelly, hello. How you doing, Kerry? All good. Yes, thank you. And I promise no more nautical references, especially given the fact that the closest I've been to the sea and sailing on water is probably the Swans and banger. <laughs> but Kelly, trying to maintain and sustain a healthy relationship is such a tricky thing, isn't it?
0: It is really tricky, Kerry, but I think there are things that we can do and skills that we can develop and tools that we can develop to help us to be able to do that. So as you'd said, you know, I'm from Relate NI and a lot of people would see our organisation as an organisation they come to for therapy, couples counselling, young people's counselling, families counselling. So I'm working on a new project now called Sustain and Healthy Relationships. So what we're trying to do is look at early intervention stuff to try and give people the skills and the tools to be proactive, in terms of sustaining those healthy relationships. So, again, you know, it all looks brilliant in theory and written down. But the the hardest part, I suppose, is the practice of those good, healthy kind of tips around sustaining healthy relationships.
1: So if we take a step back then to look at the stress that can, you know, cause problems in relationships, where does that stress, do you think, where does that generally come from? Well, certainly
0: with new parents, there's an idea, you know, before we have babies that this is going, this little baby's going to arrive and everything's going to be gorgeous and the house is going to be clean and dinner's going to be in the table. And the reality of that, as you well know, Kerry, and so do I, is not necessarily, it, it doesn't really work out that way. So there are a number of key areas where stress can kind of show up in a relationship. And certainly, I suppose, in the early days of, of having a baby or young children, division of household labour. Unfortunately, we still live in a very gendered society. So the majority of that, will maybe fall on the woman or the, the female in the house and certainly she's taken up leave and her partner has to go back to work as well so division of household labour you know you just you just feel that you're chasing your tail half the time you know you get up in the morning you're cooking dinners you're looking after the baby the house is a mess again you know you're just going round and round in circles so division of labour is certainly somewhere where we find stress and then that will cause conflict within a relationship I suppose sex and intimacy as well you know I suppose we start off being lovers when we're in these relationships and then we turn into parents and that has a you know a massive impact on I suppose ourselves as sexual beings and as lovers as we you know we change from that love, lover role to the parenting role as well and you know I always remember I have a nearly 24 year old and twins who are 20 and you know they may have gone to bed and me and my partner may have decided that we were going to get very romantic and then one of the babies would have woken up and you would have taken yourself into the room and you know did sort the baby out and then you got back into bed and your partner would have presumed you're just going back into that lovely you know sexy goddess mode and you're not necessarily <laughs> feeling that so you know this the, the the impact of that on relationships is is really difficult and you need we need to negotiate that as well I suppose financial pressures and certainly we're living through you know a, a very very difficult time at the minute in terms of the cost of living crisis but financial pressures will always cause you know real difficulties in relationships as well you know because you don't have the oh let's go out for dinner tonight and get a babysitter or you know let's book a holiday or a weekend away um, if you're lucky enough to do that so um, financial pressures can be really really difficult And I remember a woman saying to me about 20 years ago, you know, when uh, the debt rolls into a relationship, love rolls out. It's very difficult to maintain, you know, a healthy relationship when you have financial pressures because you're, you know, you're constantly worried about, you know, is it school uniforms? Is it, you know, um, paying Mm -hmm. for fees, whatever it happens to be? And then family life, which is, you know, it's wonderful. And we had a chat about, you know, your granny and your mom and you live in close by them. And, you know, in-laws and and family members are great, but their impact on a family can be, you know, interesting. So I remember after I had my twins, you know, my mom was up and she wanted to help out and she wanted to do all these things. And I was sending my partner, could you just dropper home now. I just need to find this space myself. I want to kind of create my, you know, my home. So it's how, you know, those other family members come in and out of your life and their expectations around, you know, what, the, what what their expectations for your children and your family are too. And then parenting itself, you know, who's doing the emotional labor, who's doing most of the work, who's picking the kids up from school, who's doing after schools, who's doing the 45, you know, different um, activities they've decided to do when you become taxi mom or taxi dad. And, and then parenting values as well. So, A friend of mine had, uh, her husband was Portuguese and you know the culture in Portugal is you don't really chastise children. You know you, the children basically they will grow up and they'll be wonderful. You know individuals. And her kind of Irish background was no, you, you kind of you chastise children or you discipline children. So that caused a wee bit of conflict within their relationship as well in terms of the different cultures and values around parent and styles. So that's kind of a whistle stopped her. And never mind social constraints. Then you know you've you've maybe been this. You know you're going out to gigs, you're going out meeting your friends, you're going out for coffee, and now you've got a baby, and you're lucky to get out of the house by half eleven or twelve o'clock in the day so you that that's the, the social relationships that we rely on and um, they're also impacted too so that's a bit of a whistle stop <laughs> to, i suppose <laughs> of things that can cause stress in a relationship that is not dimension you know covid that we've just come through yeah. bereavement there's so many so many issues and um, that can cause stress in a relationship
1: and then the, the tiny ones as well you know the, the teeny tiny ones about you know who's pitting out the bins who's taking them back in who you know all the, like the tiniest thing can set off stresses that just kind of Explode into bigger and bigger things Can't they?
0: Absolutely and the, the Gottman Institute um, So Gottman Institute is based in the States And it's a she's a therapist and he Is a researcher and they took I think it was About 6,000 couples into a lab Scenario and asked them basically To um, relive the last argument That they had and they could Basically tell with about 85% accuracy Of which couples were going to stay together And which ones were going to separate Because of how they argued But they also tell us that 69% percent of our conflicts are perpetual so I know if I end up in the divorce courts it's over me packing the dishwasher or (laughs) who took the who left the recycling bin side because that's just a constant argument that we have but again it depends what mood you're in you know in terms of do you see the best in your partner going oh they just forgot or is it you know these these things that we build up these resentments that we keep building up with our partners and we keep a tally of all the things that they have done wrong and then when an argument does start we go straight into the you know you're always doing this and you never do that and we're building up so as they say in Frozen let it go once the argument is over don't you know don't dwell on it
1: Um, which again is easier <laughs> said than done yeah <laughs> I know I'm just thinking about even this morning finding the toothpaste with the toothpaste cap off let it go Go, Carrie. Let it go, Kerry. Let it go. Let yep. it go. Breathe in the on grand through. scheme
0: of things, Carrie, that's the way we have to look at it. You know, in five minutes, five weeks, five years, is this really going to matter? But it's, I suppose, recognising our physiological reactions to that as well. So if you feel yourself, you know, your blood pressure rising or your palms getting sweaty and you're just going, I'm going to explode. Take, if you can, just take some uh, five minutes out to yourself <laughs> to calm down before we engage in, in um, the interaction with the other person who left the lid off the toothpaste.
1: Yeah. I do think but sometimes a hard thing can be knowing what the goal is that you're aiming for with the relationship. You know, like if I said, "What what is a healthy relationship? What does it look like? You know, a hundred people would have a hundred different answers and that in itself can cause conflict as well, can't it?
0: Very, very much so. But it's about being able to be yourself, your true authentic self. You're bringing your true authentic self to the relationship. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to mimic anybody else. But being allowed to be your true authentic self in your relationship. Interdependence. So you're a dependent individual, but you're in a relationship with someone else. And those resources, you're getting some from that person and that person is emotionally getting something back from you. So you're two independent people but you rely on each other to achieve your life goals or to you know build a family or whatever it happens to be i suppose trust and honesty you know the the load burn walls of our relationships we need to to trust in our relationships and when trust is broken that's really really difficult to to build but it can be rebuilt i'm being completely honest but you know being honest in terms of i when they were given out like diplomacy you know the, the diplomatic areas in in my relationships they, they miss me out so I have to when I say something I can come across quite bluntly so I need to reflect on how that sounds to the other person so and that's something that I've learned over many many years 26 years in <laughs> fact with my with my wonderful husband about respect you know um, and respecting yourself in terms of uh, would you allow people to speak to you that way would you allow things to happen that way if you I suppose model respect for yourself then other people will model that respect as well but you must show respect for yourself creating good boundaries you know What are you willing to stand for and what you're not willing to stand for and and how those are communicated as well. And again, good communication. And this is, you know, this is a real interesting one because what I'm trying to communicate to you is not necessarily what you've picked up. So it's about checking and clarifying that you understand what it is that I'm trying to communicate to you and then handling conflict effectively. You know, conflict is nature's primary motivator for change. It happens all the time. It's how we handle it and ensure that there's a positive outcome for both people in the in the conflict that that makes it effective in terms of handling it
1: and i totally understand that in that you know conflict sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative word it can be something from which you know lots of good things come lots of new understandings come but sometimes it's it isn't sometimes it's an ongoing process and how can you start then to identify and and you know how can you identify bad behaviour, unhealthy signs and start to be able to challenge inappropriate behaviour. You know, whenever you're in the midst of that, sometimes it's very hard to see, oh, hang on, this isn't a a healthy way to be with each other. Yeah,
0: I suppose it's about stepping back and reflecting on our emotions. So our emotions are data uh, that flag things up for us. So, for example, we don't have strong emotions about things that we don't care about or that, that are not important in our lives. But emotions are not directives. So if I'm angry about something, for example, I could say to you, Kerry, I'm feeling angry, not I am angry because you're not the emotion. You are feeling the emotion. So I am feeling angry because the kitchen has been left a mess. Then I'm giving you a direction of what I need you to do. So I need you to clean the kitchen if that's okay with you so in good communications and conflict resolution the the other person will say I'm really sorry I didn't realise that you were stressed or I didn't realise that I hadn't cleaned the kitchen I'll happily do that or tell me more about how you're feeling so that's how good communication goes or I could turn around and go Kerry why do you never clean this kitchen it's always a mess you never You that always and never that becomes a, a feeling of criticism and you're backing your partner or your child into a corner and they're going to kind of come out swinging so it's how we communicate effectively so when in a conf- conflictual situation, you need to say, I am feeling. So you're identifying it's you, what the problem or the issue, the, the emotions that you're feeling, what the issue is on the table. So it's not the person, it's the it's the scenario or what has been happening and then asking your partner or your child to do what it is that you need them to do. And that's good communications. Now, when you're in good form and that's all slowed down, that's brilliant. But again, physiologically, we need to check our physiology and say, actually, I'm going to blow my top here. I'm not ready to talk about this right now. Give me five minutes and I'll come back to you and then we can discuss it. And it slows the communication down and it keeps
1: things from I suppose boiling over. I think but there's the other thing as well, in that I'm I'm the kind of person I hate conflict, I hate fighting in any shape or form. So instead of talking about things, instead of communicating, I kind of swallow it and think, no, no, just just let it go, Carrie, just let it go. When sometimes things do need to be brought out in the open and, and discussed.
0: I suppose in terms of any relationships, well, certainly when I was growing up, and I think you're of the same vintage as myself, Kerry. Yes, mid-twenties, isn't that right? Late-twenties, yes. Um, <laughs> Things were kept behind closed doors. You keep things behind closed doors and also about swallowing our emotions. But what research has told us now, the more we suppress those emotions, the stronger that they become. So you're basically building up stuff that's going to explode or implode at a later stage so it's how we kind of are able to look at the emotions that we're feeling describe them and identify them because sometimes we don't as you said you know we swallow those emotions but what emotions are we swallowing are we swallowing anger are we swallowing sadness are we swallowing resentment you know so we need to name those uh, name those emotions what are we actually doing with those emotions um, and are we putting it off you know for a later stage for, for something to come back we need to i suppose quietly and gently sit down and discuss what it is that we need to do because at the end of the day it's long term sustaining of relationships that are important we're all relational human beings we all want to be in relationships relationships are the things that make our lives flourish that make us happy and contented so we need to spend some time doing that and look it's easy for me to sit and say this you know when you are juggling you know making the dinner picking kids up from school we're not taking the time to even effectively listen to what else someone else is saying we're merely reacting you know we're merely re- we're, we're trying to solve a problem we're trying to fix something we're trying to to get the things done and dusted as quickly as we can. If you're feeling that you're ready to explode or you're feeling angry, that's the time to take
1: a time out if it's, if it's at all possible. We'll be back in just a minute after this short message from the Line team.
2: ParentLine NI is a free confidential service offering advice, support and guidance on any parenting matter. If you would like some support with any of the issues raised in today's podcast or any other parenting issue, please call the ParentLine team today on free phone 0808 8020 400 or check out our Facebook page for more information. Now, on with the show.
1: I think there's also a problem here, especially in our part of the world, where everybody is sort of six you know, stages of separation. We're all related to each other if you go back far enough here in our wee bit of the world. And there is, I think, almost a stigma sometimes about speaking out if you have got problems that you think you know I, I, you know, this isn't right in my relationship I do think people feel that there's a stigma with, with doing that There certainly is and that's what
0: we're trying to do with our Sustain and Healthy Relationships workshops is to invite people along to talk about general relationship stressors to talk about general ways of, you know, fixing those or giving them tools to to help them kind of manage those as opposed to, I suppose, exposing themselves and saying, look, my relationship's really unhealthy. This, this, you know, this, this and this is going on. That we're actually giving them tools to come along and discuss things that they may be willing and able to discuss. But there's no doubt about it. You know, we live in a in a very stigmatized society in terms of talking about healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships.
1: And it's that thing where you think if I talk to a, then are B, C and D going to find out about this, you know? Yeah. But I think it's healthy to talk
0: to your best friend or, you know, someone who, a confident who you can confide. And certainly uh, my best friend, she's been my best friend from she was four years old, could write probably four volumes on my <laughs> my relationship ups and downs over the years. But I think it's good to have a confident. Um, but also that does not negate talking to the person that you're having issues in the relationship with as well.
1: Or like you say, having your project where you feel like there's that one sort of step removed where it's not actually somebody that, you know, I think that in itself can be can be a huge help. If you think this this person doesn't know anybody from my time, they don't know who I sit opposite at the table, you know, whenever I'm having my breakfast in the morning, that in itself can be can be a relief to talk to somebody who doesn't have that, you know, doesn't come with their own emotional uptake on, on, on what your relationship is.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, kind of therapy works so well in terms of relate and in, in, with relationship problems, because you're talking to an expert who has no vested interest in terms of the outcome of your relationship. But if you're talking to your mommy or your granny or your, you know, your best friend, well, they're like, well, I don't want them to split up, you know, and maybe the best thing is for them to split up. We don't ever say and relate that you should stay in a relationship that's, you know, extremely unhealthy. What you do is you explore, you know, what you can in terms of of maintaining that relationship. But if it's obvious that the relationship should not be maintained, then, you know, the relationship should end. But if you have people and certainly children, Carrie, you know, this as well, you know, we'll do it for the sake of the children. And it's very difficult to get an objective point of view or objective advice on on what's happening in
1: your relationship. You're 100 percent right. You know, lots of couples, they stay together, I think. and, And like I've seen it and you've probably seen it as well. Lots of couples where you can look at them and think, you know, are you staying together for the kids? Because there's not a friendship, there's not no sort of respect there and there hasn't been for a long time. And I think people stay together because they think this is the best thing for the child. But if a child is seeing conflict at home, my goodness, that's got such long-term implications as to how they start to cope with conflict in their own lives, hasn't it?
0: Certainly. And if, if children see conflict um, happening and well resolved and, you know, families moving on and partners moving on, that gives them a set of life skills because we're all going to deal with conflict throughout our lives. It's the conflict, inter-parental conflict that is badly resolved or not resolved at all that can lead to really poor outcomes for babies, for toddlers, for young people. It could be drug and alcohol problems. It could be obesity. It could be low educational attainment, low employment issues as well. So we're doing a lot of work at the minute around sustaining healthy relationships to look at interparental parental conflict. So, you know, we do all this stuff. We want the best things for our kids. But guess what? The best things for your kids is sorting out your own relationship issues. And certainly we, wor- we work with the Gottman Institute's uh, Sound Relationship House. And that gives couples and partners practical skills and tools that they can work through to help them maintain a healthy relationship within the family. And that's then modelled for their children
1: to be able to see that as well an incredible thing. I think that's one of the biggest gifts you can give your kids is to see how to handle relationships, whether they're good and all hearts and flowers or, you know, the, the days when the rainbows are more about the rain than the bows. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So these workshops that you are uh, getting up, getting running, you've been piloting a few of them. How have they worked out? They're working out really well.
0: So the first one we piloted was with uh, prenatal parents. The moms were about 25, 30 weeks pregnant and we had four couples. Uh, who came in and you know they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they look so naive and you know <laughs> you're just going Oh, you're so lovely but they're, they're perfect audience for the sustained and healthy relationships so we talk about relationship stressors we talk about the things that they may think that will cause conflict in the relationship once the baby comes and then we give them some tools and tips and kind of we checklists that they can run through to ensure that they're sustaining a healthy relationship so you kind of pilot them and you don't really know how the workshops are going to go but the feedback was incredible Like I was nearly in tears, you know, and I can be, you know, less emotional sometimes than others but um, you know they were saying thank you so much for running this this has given us a great opportunity to discuss issues that may come up later on thank you you've given us the tools and skills to talk about these issues before they arise thank you for doing this you've given me an opportunity to talk to my husband about issues that I want to talk to him about you know it was just absolutely fantastic so we did that and then I've been running some in Sure Start and West Belfast and that's usually for the mums because once the babies are born the dads usually end up going back to work and you know you're you're speaking to the mums but they are really enjoying the workshops as well in terms of saying look oh I completely I understand when you you know you're in conflict you say I, I you know I am feeling angry or I am feeling upset then name the thing and then say this is what I need you to do so it's nearly like training people in a you know a, a script of how you reframe you know communicating with with the person when you're upset so they they were saying that they thought it was really useful for, for with with their kids but also with them um, with their partners as well so the workshops are going really well and I really really enjoying them too. To be honest it sounds like the kind of
1: thing that should be going out you know with the bounty pack that you get whenever you first have your baby because (laughs) it's so true you know whenever you are first plunged into having your baby especially first time round when you don't know what's coming and you are sleep deprived in the way that people had told you about but you never quite understand until you're there in the midst of it to just have those kind of Couple of wee help in hand ideas as to how you communicate in a new way is such a such a big thing. Yeah, and that's
0: what we're trying to do, you know, and this is why we want to look at early intervention stuff. You know, so many calls we get to really at NIR as well, you know new moms or new dads going listen we have this baby it's hit us like a brick wall the relationships go on to hell in a handbasket can you you know can you help us so what we're trying to do is equip people way before that happens to help them deal effectively with their relationships and to sustain healthy relationships like you know for me this stuff should be taught in schools along with English and maths how we negotiate relationships how we communicate effectively how we identify our emotions how we articulate and communicate our emotions for
1: me that should be you know top top drawer of the curriculum it really should. hundred percent. I could not agree more. Uh, and I do think well, actually we've got a bit better at that in schools. A lot of them are, are aware of mindfulness even, things like this. That kind of that thing where you can take a step back in your emotion before yeah. you 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 share that emotion with somebody else. Really important thing to have, you know. Can you actually though educate people on how to have a better relationship? You can talk you can teach people how to communicate, but can you actually Address the kind of relationship they have, because I mean, whenever you look at the vast number of personality uh, types that there are and reactions that we can have, it must be so hard then to to help people actually change that.
0: Well, for me, you know, like love or healthy relationships, it's not a factory setting. It's not something that we're born with. And certainly. My parents, my dad went to work in London when I was 12 or 13 years old, and then the relationship subsequently, you know it broke up and it ended. So the, I had no kind of when I became a parent or you know was in a relationship, I had no model of good behavior there. And then I started looking at my mom, and then I looked at my mom's, the history of my mom as well. And my granny was actually an orphan. So my granny was orphaned, I think, when she was six or seven years old, and there was her and her, her uh, three siblings were all farmed out to like older aunts and uncles. So my granny had 10 children, and she was an orphan. So So where where did her model and healthy relationships come from? So I think these are things that can be taught. I think we can uh, help people argue more constructively. I think we can help them communicate more effectively and actively listen. I think we can stop people revisiting past emotional fights. But I think it's about looking at our trigger. You know, we need to be self-aware. We need to do some work on ourselves. And for me as well, it is identifying those emotions. What emotions are we feeling? These are kind of lights that are going off. These emotions are telling us something. Something's not right or something is right because as i said we don't feel emotionally strong about things that don't you know don't matter to us so i think
1: those things can be absolutely taught and the one thing i think that you know 99.999 percent of all parents and carers want is that they want their children to be happy it's that's That's it it. happy and healthy and if you think you could do a little bit of work that would help and point towards that, I think most of us would jump on board
0: straight away, wouldn't we? Absolutely. And I think, but we haven't made the connection between happy and healthy children and happy and healthy parents, you know, because that's the environment that we are creating. Yes, they're out to school and they're out doing their own things with their friends, you know, as they get older and stuff. But we need that relationship, that fundamental relationship that they have to be sound, to communicate effectively, to argue, you know, constructively, to, to do all the things that need to be done. You know, love is maintenance. You know, love and relationships are. Yeah, it's doing the hard work. You know, you just can't sit back and and wait for this stuff to happen. You have to actually engage with it. And if you want the best for your children, then the best thing you can do is have a good relationship with yourself, have a good relationship with your partner,
1: and then having a good relationship with your children. So here's the tough question, now. You ready? What about negotiating with your own children? Because nobody's an arch negotiator as much as my kids are. In fact, probably the six-year-old is probably the best out of all of us. But any top tips for that?
0: Well, I was reading um, a blog by Scott Brown and he wrote a book, I think, in 2003. So, of course, he's a Yale, un- Yale University professor of negotiation. And I went, OK, so a Yale University professor has written a book on how to negotiate with your kids, even when you think you shouldn't. This is stuff that's, you know, it's definitely it's top tips. So I, I do have a, I have a few. And again, it goes back to a lot of stuff we've discussed earlier. He says, deal with your own emotions first. So how are you feeling about something And also Philippa Perry's stuff around um, Parenting is is really brilliant as well As she talks about triggers So when something's happening with your child And you're reacting to it Are you reacting to the thing that's happening with your child Or are you reacting to past unpleasant experiences That you had as a child So again it's about that self-awareness And and self-regulation for us So definitely deal with your own emotions first And then helping them cope with their emotions So this is about validating their emotions So I see you and I hear you I see that you're upset I can understand why you're angry but you're not problem solving and you're not providing solutions and that's the most for me as a parent that is the most difficult thing what is wrong with you how can I fix it you know and it's and, and I am driving the car or I'm cooking the dinner or I, you know and it's again it's that just get the thing done so validate the emotions Uh, That helps them understand their emotions. So I see you and I hear you. I can understand. But you don't uh, judge and you don't provide solutions. If bedtime, for example, is a particular battleground, you know, do you set aside some time to read a book, to have some quiet time, and then you can talk about feelings. There's no point doing it when you're going, it's 15 minutes. I told you 15 minutes ago (laughs) to get into bed because then you're already angry and stressed and the, the child's already going, here she goes again. She's going to start nagging about me going to bed. So it's setting aside that quiet time again. I suppose setting up the frameworks of what's going to happen when things are not hated, emotionally hated, is the best way to do that. So listen to learn um, and active listening. And I mean, this runs throughout the whole, uh, the whole sustaining healthy relationships. But active listening is so important. And again, it's easier said than done when you're, you know, juggling dinners and uniforms and homework. But to actively listen, you're actually spending time with the child and sitting down and scheduling time to find out what's on their mind. So when you do get five or ten minutes going, can I can we have a wee chat? How are you feeling today? You know, not the mummy I'm trying to and you're going I'm in the middle of making the dinner and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that go listen can we talk about this in a wee while just when I have time when you're giving the child I suppose your full attention
1: That's quite a good one to do whenever you're in the car I always find Yes You know if you get somewhere and then or you, you're leaving them off somewhere you're doing the mummy taxi and then you pick them up afterwards and just before you go I can see it I can see sometimes in my well, older kids they're like oh here she goes because I'll go here I was just thinking you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good place to grab them because they can't escape from you so that yeah. they you know they tend to sit it's just the two of you it's nice and quiet nowhere to rush to nowhere to go to to have that wee chat is a great is a great time to do
0: yeah when our ones were younger it was in the bath because they're just yeah. trapped yeah. <laughs> they're trapped in the bath so let's have some fun in the bath yeah so how are you feeling about this yeah so I mean again busy lives busy people but it, you know it's an investment Um, because it, yeah, it's an investment in, in the long term in, in terms of your relationship and then he talks about talk to teach lessons. So when we're talking about our feelings, you know, we should communicate our feelings to our kids as well. But again, not when we're angry. So they've just run mud, you know, from the back door right through to the sofa and you're absolutely apoplectic. And, you know, why are you doing this? And the kid's going, oh, she's just shouting again. So when you're feeling calmer, you can say, look, I'm, I I feel really upset when you do that because I spend such, so much of my time trying to keep this house nice and clean. And I know you probably didn't mean to do it, but it really upsets me. So you're teaching your child empathy and understanding and also that you have emotions but you're communicating you're articulating your emotions effectively so you're not just going "Uh, why is she so angry? It's like Because I'm, you know, I'm upset because I try to keep the house clean and, you know, you've tramped mud through the house. I think a really interesting uh, point that he makes, and I certainly did use this with my kids because it was, I don't know if it became instinctive or where it came from, but using persuasion instead of coercion. So for example, um, I would have always given my kids a choice of two. So you can either watch this film or you can play with Lego. You can either do this or you can do that. So you're creating a framework, but also they are part of the decision-making process. So you're not saying, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. You know, that just repeat ad nauseum. So you can either do this or you can do this. So you create the structure, but the child's involved in the decision making process. If they're involved in the decision making process, they feel that they have ownership of it and more likely to, to follow it through. And then the last one he talks about is uh, discipline and wisely. So certainly when my kids were growing up and as I said they're they're a lot older, it was either the naughty step, uh, groundings or gold stars. And he says basically that, you know, these are good for short term behavioural change. But in the long term, this is not what you're looking at. So you're looking at a problem solving, negotiating kind of family environment. So if he, he said in, in terms of discipline, agree with the child, you know, and, and listen, they can come up with their own lists of discipline and, you know, Sometimes I was quite in awe of the list that my children would come up to going, oh, yes, you can take this away and we'll not get out and we'll not do this. And I'm going, this is brilliant. They're coming up with a better list than you could even come up with. But again, that's done in a quiet time and not when things are really heated and you're in the middle of conflict. So the discipline is decided on by you and the child in terms of the list. And then when something happens and the child needs discipline, you can say, well, here's our list. So this is what we said that was going to happen. So that takes again the hate out of it and the child learns kind of self-discipline and
1: not just reading your moods going, oh, she's in bad mood. Oh, she's in good mood. I've never done that before. I'm going to steal that and and run with that (laughs) one because yeah, I can totally see how that would work. If they have had a hand in choosing their own disciplines their own forfeit kind of in a way yep. then they can't really come back and say that's so unfair
0: it's so unfair life is so <laughs> unfair absolutely you're going you come up with a list or we come up with a list together so take your pick
1: oh i'm pinching that one brilliant <laughs> thank you so much listen you have given me so many fantastic tips and hints and others can get on board they can find out more because i know that you're going to be running these workshops with parentline and i Yes. So we will
0: be running the workshops. We're running two on Zoom for parents and we're going to be running one actually in our Relate NI offices for people who want to come along and do some face to face workshops. But yeah, we hope to have a a long standing relationship with ParentLine NI and I'm really looking forward to delivering the workshops. Lots more helpful tools and tips in the workshops as well. Excellent. Well, we'll all
1: have fantastic relationships by the end of that. Wait till you see. Let's hope so. <laughs> Kelly from Relia and I, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you today. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks very much. You can captain my relationship anytime you fancy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Parent Line podcast. If you'd like access to the next episode as soon as it goes live, just click follow wherever you get your podcasts. At ParentLine, we love supporting as many parents and carers as possible. So if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to consider sharing it with a friend, colleague or family member. Don't forget, if you would like support or guidance with any parenting issue, we're here for you on 0808 8020 400. Catch you on the next one.